you for leading us in worship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for so many ways, so many reasons that we have to worship you. We thank you for what you've done for us, how much you've loved us, how much you continue to love us. Thank you for your word. We thank you for song. We thank you that we can express ourselves in this way, in music. And now, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us as we look into your word to learn more of you, more of your ways, and more how we, and more how we can be better servants of yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, the book of Revelation in the New Testament is a very interesting, very informative, somewhat unique book of the Bible. And it begins with the Apostle John having this almost overwhelming vision of the risen, glorified Christ. And then Jesus tells John to write down these instructions to the seven churches in the first century over near in the area of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And so in that, we see that Jesus is the Lord of the church. He is the head, we are the body. He's given instructions to the church. And then John is called upward, and he's told to look through this door where he looks into heaven. And he sees God the Father sitting on this throne, and it's just this amazingly glorious picture, splendid, shining, you know, of God the Father sitting on his throne, and heavenly creatures worshiping him, falling down on their faces worshiping him. And he's holding a scroll in his hand, in which, is the, on, which is closed or kept closed by seven seals. And it contains God's plan to redeem the earth, to redeem his creation, and to redeem his followers. And it's his plan to right all wrong and establish everlasting righteousness and to take back what Satan has stolen. Bring back the captives, bring back his creation. But then we saw how there was some big trouble because no one was found that was worthy enough to open the scrolls or the scrolls to break the seals and open the scroll. And so it was like, here's our answer, but we can't get to it. And the apostle John wept and wept because it looked like there was no way to open the scroll. But then one of the heavenly creatures said to John, wait, there is someone that's worthy. Don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Lamb of God, he has triumphed. And he can open the scroll. He can break the seals. And then when that announcement was made, all of the heavenly beings, you had the four living creatures, you had the 24 elders. And it said, eventually, thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels were worshiping God. You know, I said before, 10,000 times 10,000 is literally 100 million, but it's just like you can't count them. That's, that's basically what they're saying. All of those erupting in praise to worship God because he's so glorious and he's provided our salvation and the lamb was slain for our redemption. 
And then Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, he took the scroll from his father's right hand. And as he began opening the seals, the earth began experiencing the judgment of God. And this is John watching this because this is what's going to happen. It's, it's, it's a preview of what's going to happen in the end time. And as each seal is broken from the scroll, the scroll, another aspect of God's judgment comes upon the earth. And it starts out with warriors riding out to conquer, conquest, defeat, making people subservient. And then it said, peace fled from the earth and killing became rampant. Then people began experiencing famine, skyrocketing prices for food. Everybody was hurting. Then it became death and destruction as these different horse riders went out. And people were dying by the sword and famine and plague and wild beasts. And all this was going on in these visions that John was watching. And then people were being martyred as these seals were being opened. People were being martyred for faith in Christ. And when Jesus opened the fifth seal, John saw a vision of people who had been slain and their souls were under the altar. And that's the place when they sacrificed an animal, the blood would run under the corner of the altar. And so these, these slain people in John's vision, they called out to God and they said, Lord, sovereign Lord, when will you avenge our blood? When will you get those people who killed us? And they were then given white robes, that's the robe of victory and purity, and said to wait a little longer, told to wait a little longer, until the number of God's servants have met their fate, that they also would be killed for Christ. And then John saw Christ break open the sixth seal, and creation began crumbling and falling apart, kind of like the opposite of when God created it. And the, the sun turned black and the moon turned red and stars were falling from the sky and heaven, the heavens were, you know, rolling up like a scroll. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then all the kings and princes and all the prominent of the earth, those who placed themselves in the place of God and rejected God, they began running because the rocks were falling and they were hiding in caves. And they said, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. And they tried to hide in the mountains behind the rocks. And what we're talking about here is this time of God's righteous revenge. And the book of Revelation gives us that end time picture when he reclaims his creation and especially from those who refused to give it over to him, those who said, we'll be God. And this is the time, you know, God has let them go on for so many eons. And now this is the time that God's going to take his creation back. And the book of Revelation tells us of three series of judgments that will come upon the earth in God's timing. And we know there would be the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And we're going to see all those in the book of Revelation. We've already been through some of the seal judgments. And now as we look at chapter 7 of Revelation this morning, 
We've seen six seals open. We've seen all that judgment go on. But we haven't seen the seventh seal opened yet. And in chapter 7, there's this very important interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal judgments. And its main focus is how God will deal with his own people. We've seen him judge people on the earth. Now, in chapter 7, we're going to see how God is going to deal with his own people while all this is going on. And we've seen him unleash his wrath upon those who have rejected him, placed themselves in the place of God. Now, during this time, we're going to see what's happening with God's people. But just before we read these first three verses of chapter 7, I need to tell you that um, it's going to talk about a seal, but it won't be the seals on a scroll. It'll be the seal of God's identification, and we'll see that in a minute. But I just wanted to clear that up. The first three verses of chapter 7 of Revelation, it says, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree or on any tree. So these four angels are standing there waiting. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. You have these four angels stationed at the four corners of the earth. And this is again a vision that God is giving the Apostle John to show him what's going to happen. Now we just read or just talked about in Chapter 6, where the creation began falling apart. And the kings were running scared and asking the rocks to fall on them. They didn't want to, you know, come up to the, the wrath of the Lamb. And as we read these scenes and visions, we got to, you know, understand that not everything is written in chronological order like we're kind of used to when we read something. What happens is God will bring judgments and they'll run their course through a period of time. And then we'll go back and bring more judgments, and God will, and they'll run their course through a period of time. So it's, it's more thematic than chronological. So these four angels are stationed to unleash these destructive winds upon mankind. And you might think, wind? But wind became a metaphor for judgment because wind was so destructive in those, those times. I mean, it could be now too, but you would have these... Uh, winds, storms on the water, and the water lanes were their lives. That's, that's where they, you know, did all their commerce, these sea lanes. And if the winds were too strong, they couldn't do that. And so these strong winds could do that. It could also ruin the crops and the fields. So <clears throat> these, these angels are set to start bringing this judgment upon people with the wind. But another angel calls out to these corner angels, and he says, Don't unleash the wind until we put the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Now, the seal he's referring to was something that an official, a king or governor or somebody would use 
if he was sending a document to somebody or a letter to somebody and to prove that it came from the king, he had his own seal, like sometimes a signet ring, and pressed it into the, to the uh, kind of like putty that, that, sold, that sealed it closed. And people could tell that this was from the king. That was the proof. And he's talking about God putting his seal, or the angels putting God's seal on these servants of God so that they would be identified as God's servants for his protection and, <clears throat> and his care. So this is that fifth angel telling these four corner angels. This refers to ownership and protection. So God's judgment is ready to be unleashed, but he's taking extra measures to wait until his faithful servants are clearly identified as his. So there's going to be two distinct groups here as God brings his judgment. Those who belong to God and who are protected by him, who he owns, and those who choose not to belong to God. Those who have the seal of God, the mark of God's ownership, and those who refuse it. Now let's look at those who receive the seal of God in verses 4 through 8. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, receiving the, the ownership mark of God. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. And from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. The tribe of Joseph, 12,000. The tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. <coughs> now, here's the deal. A lot of people, a lot of scholars believe that these numbers, 144,000, 12,000, 12 tribes of Israel, it's not to be taken literally because 12 is a number for completeness and fullness. And a thousand is used, you know, by us and by other languages as, you know, the big number, like thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. So many good Bible scholars believe that this 144,000 and these 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, actually, they're kind of lined up like an army waiting to march. And it really represents Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, all those who stand true for Christ all the way to the end. They're brave soldiers. And many give their lives for the sake of the gospel. But everyone has the seal of God and standing firmly for him all the way to the end. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches. White robes signified victory, triumph, and purity. Palm branches were held at celebrations like when Christ rode in to Jerusalem. And this was a gigantic victory celebration of faithfulness to, of God, faithfulness to God to the end. 
So you have these 144,000, and they have the seal of God. And then when you go on in the passage, it's kind of just a, a break. It doesn't really give, you know, a connection to it. It doesn't, you know, it just kind of, all of a sudden, these 144,000, they were together, and they were the ones who were sealed. And now they're being celebrated. And they cry out to God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Let's look here. He says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. This is the 144,000. That no one from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? John answered, sir, you know, because John didn't know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. <clears throat> So now they're in heaven and they're celebrating this gigantic victory. But guess what? They all died. They all were killed. But they're celebrating salvation to our God. He who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And they all worship, all the heavenly creatures bow down and worship. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor. And then this, one of these uh, creatures, he asks John, who are they? You know, they came out of the great tribulation. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And that means they gave their life for Christ. And their white robes, and their robes became white because they were cleansed by Jesus' blood. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And God will shelter them with his presence. And never again will they hunger, thirst, or feel scorching heat. For the lamb will be their shepherd and will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. <clears throat> now, I just feel like I have to say this. Um, I hope it doesn't sound too trite. But I've heard so many people 
ask to like Bible teachers on the radio or whatever to say, why is God wiping away every tear? Why are there tears in heaven? And <clears throat> that is okay to ask, but I, I get a little frustrated when I hear the answers. And this, these Bible teachers will say, well, maybe it's because they're sad that their, their family isn't there in heaven. Or maybe it's because they're sad that they didn't see something they were want, wanting to see in heaven. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, look what they've all been through on earth. They've been, they've been killed. They've been chased down. They've been martyred, you know. They've, they've been suffering under unjust, you know, leadership, kings, whatever. Finally, they're killed. They go up to heaven, Christ to save them. Can't you imagine some tears flowing at that time? And they've just been, you know, treated so badly. Now they're coming up, and they're in the presence of the Savior, their shepherd. He will now take care of them all the way through. And they're just crying out of relief, crying from overwhelming joy. Think of seeing God and being treated almost as a hero and knowing it's all over. The fight is over. It's finished. Christ is our Savior. He's our King. We now just answer to Him. We don't have to go through all of this stuff, you know, that they're going through at the end of the time. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. I can imagine just a few tears being shed at that time. But <clears throat> here's what we can take away from the passage. We saw in the first part that God put his seal on his children, on his faithful children. He put his seal. The angel said, wait, don't let go of the wind until we put the seal. We identify those who are gods. Now, at that point, it could mean that they were going to be protected from the judgment of God because God was judging the evil people. It could be that we may be shielded from the judgment of God, you know, at the end when he, when he judges other people like the Israelites were in, in the plagues of Egypt. On the other hand, we did see those who were sealed also go into the great tribulation and were killed. So the seal of God is his mark of ownership but it doesn't mean that we won't ever have any troubles. And it doesn't even mean that we won't die for Christ. What did the seal do? The seal marked each person as God's special possession, God's faithful servant, and it guaranteed their eternal home with God. And being sealed doesn't mean we won't go through some suffering, but being sealed does mean we are God's possession. And do you know what the Bible says is our seal? The Holy Spirit is our seal. And so if we have the Holy Spirit, we are marked by God as his special possession. Just like those were marked on the foreheads. We have the Spirit of God and we are God's special possession. And <clears throat> as we stay connected to him, 
through faith, we will be rewarded. And we might be crying in heaven. Who knows? And here's the thing, you know. Today, as I've said a number of times, there are many people that are walking away from the faith. <clears throat> and some of them had, had tons of followers, you know, online and, and even in their music ministries and that sort of thing. And some of them were pastors of big churches. And they see something in the world and they don't like it and they think, how could God do that? Well, you know, things don't always go the way we want them. And I'm, I tell them, read your Bibles. You know, there's so many things that we have to go, go through in this earth. And one day, God's going to rescue us if we have his seal, if we have the Holy Spirit. You know, we will be rescued by God. And from then on and forever and evermore, we will be led by the Lamb, the springs of living water. That living water keeps us alive. And forever, we will be living on God's recreated earth. His recreated universe. And he will always be our shepherd. And we will always belong to him. And there won't be any sin anymore. But we have to stay true to that time. We have to stay solid in Christ. We have to not <clears throat> allow something we see pull us away from him. And I think when people say, well, I can't believe it because of this. I think they're putting themselves in the place of God. Because God tells us to trust him and just follow him. And even when things look really bad, we follow him. And when things hurt, we still follow him. And when things go the way we thought they wouldn't go, we still follow him. And so there's just one rule. We follow him. We stay with him. He's the one. He's the one that rose from the dead. Who else rose from the dead? It's only him. He's the only one to follow. And so if we have the Holy Spirit, if we've come to Christ for forgiveness of sins, trusted in Jesus Christ to take care of all of our sins, we have the seal of God. And we don't know what's going to happen. We may never see persecution. We may see it. But whatever it is, we're sealed if we're stay with, saved with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it teaches us so much about your protection and your love and your